You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 84 of the Comic Book Informer podcast. We are coming to you on Wednesday, June 27th. As always, I'm Vince, along with Roger. What's up, buddy? Oh, not too much. Not too much. And we have some, and this is pretty much going to be the catchphrase, interesting comics to talk about today. <laughs> Decided to take a look at um, some lesser-known comics that are, that are coming out right now uh, from... High-profile writers, though. And the first one we want to talk about is from Dark Horse, and it's called The Massive. Issue 1 came out last week, and it's written by Brian Wood, who, as we discussed, has just recently taken over uh, writing for X-Men as well as Ultimate X-Men. So he's getting big moves with Marvel, but he's also still putting out his own stuff uh, through other publishers. Uh, Art is handled by Christian Donaldson and Dave Stewart. And it's a very interesting (laughs) look at a sort of post-apocalyptic setting i see we were talking about this on aim and it's not often that i'm at a loss for words or try to really that i could find the right words to describe how i feel about something it, it wasn't that i didn't enjoy it because i did and it was interesting at times although not nearly interesting enough to really sink its hooks into me and i mean it was very well written the characters were good albeit not always all that engaging i mean as a first episode if or sorry first issue i should say in terms of a setup issue to set up what's going to be coming and and hopefully more I don't want to say, well, suspenseful, more suspenseful issues later on. Well, then it did its its job. But if it was supposed to get its hooks in you right away so that you really wanted to keep reading, I personally didn't feel that it did that. Mm-hmm. In the story, we're introduced to the crew of a ship called the Capital, and they're essentially environmental activists who are finding themselves in this wasteland that's now Earth after multiple environmental disasters have destroyed a significant portion of civilization. And they're looking for their sister ship, the Massive. That's where the title comes from. And this story, it's just kind of explaining, like you said, explaining how the world got to this point, showing you know some pirates going on, and just, like you said, characters set up, putting, putting the pieces in place. And there's definitely potential here for a good story. You know, probably, personally for me, it's something I'm probably going to enjoy better in, say, a collected edition than month to month, just oh, because yeah. the way the story looks, at least this to this point, to be paced out. But there's some really interesting directions they can go with it especially once we find out at the end of the issue that the captain is a former mercenary so he's bringing you know military style to this supposedly peaceful organization it's it it is well done and if you were sitting down and reading a trade where you've got multiple issues then it would really work well also in terms of all of the flashbacks because i'm going to assume that those are going to continue going for quite a while because it appears to be part of the writing style as well and the the theme for the book that they're going for so i can see them doing that a lot and and it'll work because then you're going to get more of the story hopefully on how this all came to be kind of thing how it got to the point that it is now like some of that is already given but not that much a lot is left to the reader's imagination as well Mm-hmm. And we, we know what happened. I think the important thing is going to be why it happened. Well, the why and not just that, but what I also mean is the 
um, actually seeing civilization deteriorate in such a short period of time. So there's a lot of whys and hows that can be had in there as well. So it's, it's all well and good just to say that it's a post-apocalyptic setting because, you know, we had bad storms, we had this, we had that. Yeah, but that doesn't explain why society caved. And that's why they're remaining at sea so that they don't dock somewhere and lose everything to pirates or whatever kind of thing. So I'm, I'm hoping that those flashbacks will help shed some light on all of those items or yeah, and things. In an interesting change of pace, they can actually dock a couple hundred miles inland now. Yeah, really. <laughs> you, can, you could dock right by a Starbucks if you want to right now. <laughs> and I want to say I really enjoyed the art style here too, and it's specifically the coloring. Just the way for so much of the issue, a lot of the colors are very muted and washed out. It just kind of gave you that feeling uh, for the setting. It, it's somber. It's dreary. You know, there, there's not a lot to be happy about. And the coloring reflects that in the art. And it's it's just it, it was a pretty good job overall. Well, the coloring was also it was sepia tones whenever it was flashbacks. Mm -hmm. So that worked again, like you're saying, it worked very well. I did find, however, though, that the the colorist did a great job getting your eyes to where they're supposed to be because like you're talking about how things were quite somber a lot of it well if you're looking at the scenes where oh, what's her name mary when mary's in the boat and she's going to attack or going after the guys that are going to attack them well her jacket is red as are the jackets of the other guys that they're she's with and so if you look at the scenes where she is in they are in the boat i should say and they're chasing after the other guys who are chasing after them <laughs> you see the red so you can follow the action scenes very very well and your eyes immediately drawn to all these little bits of red on the page because the rest is so muted it, it's a brilliant coloring job yeah that's it's definitely a very fun book to look at yeah anything else to say before we move on no no that's good yeah, but like we said, it's, read it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's check it read. out for yourself. Yeah, definitely worth reading. And I think that within the next, I'd be willing to give it five, you know, five or six issues. By then I'll know really if they've, if he's got the chops or not to do this. Mm -hmm. All right. So the second comic we're talking about this week is the Manhattan Project. This was actually recommended to us by Zub when we interviewed him a couple months ago. And I checked out the first issue and just kind of lost pace with it and, you know, the shuffle of all the stuff going on. Can't always read every comic when it comes out, believe it or not. Anyway, this one's from Image Comics, and it's written by Jonathan Hickman, who we talk about quite frequently for his work on Fantastic Four, with art by Nick Patara. And you could definitely get a bit of that Fantastic Four vibe going on here with all the crazy science, because it takes place back in America in the 1940s during the actual Manhattan Project, which was them creating the first atomic bomb. And just Hickman doing his normal throw-all-the-rules-out-the-window style has them working on all these other crazy experiments and it's along with the the germans and the japanese it's this huge hidden war of the of the technology and stuff going on and this was an absolute blast to read i loved this phenomenal absolutely phenomenal blown away i had actually bought the first one well when it did come out i'd actually picked it up and it's literally been sitting there and i remember you had talked about it when it had first come out as well and it's been it had just been sitting there and waiting and waiting and so then when we were doing this i went and got all of them well all of them the other two and uh and read them and i just a 
adored it. It was it's what's great about it is that he takes this 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 reality that we know and then plays with the characters immensely. And I love everything that he did with the characters as well. I mean, Einstein's a badass in this. <laughs> Telling someone, <laughs> yes, calling someone in his call. I'm going, you rock, okay? And, and I love what he did with all of the characters. And then, of course, I mean, it's Hickman. Hickman knows how to create and write amazing characters as well as amazing character interactions. So you're taking these, all of these geniuses, that are stuck in this, this, you know, underground lab. And so you're having all of these dynamics between these peoples and then toss in some Nazis just for fun and some freaking Zen Buddhist robots. (laughs) That was so freaking (laughs) awesome. (laughs) But uh, toss in all of that stuff. And then you've got these amazing dynamics between all of the characters. And we've, we've seen some, but he's laying the groundwork even for what we can really expect later on. I mean, even between issue one and three, you look at the interactions that Einstein has with the others and it's way different and you're, you're seeing more of what's going on behind the scenes. So, I mean, it's, I just absolutely loved it. And I, and not just again, because of the characterization thing, like things like that, but just the plain, get ready to bleep it, bad crazy stuff that's going on there. <laughs> and and it's just, again, because it has that tie to reality, there's, it just makes it that much more fun when it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Going back to the first issue, uh, the first character we really get an in-depth look at is Robert Oppenheimer, of course, famous physicist. And it's his introduction to the Manhattan Project. And it starts off fairly normal except as it's progressing you you could tell there's things that are off like like they're walking down the hallway and here's einstein literally locked in a supply closet staring at this monolith <laughs> they're like what's up with him and the the guy in charge is like oh he'll come out when i say yeah. he can. <laughs> like that's albert einstein and you locked him in a closet <laughs> And then the attack comes with, like you said, the the death Buddhists and the the Japanese robots. But the one that really caught me was just before that. They were talking about a previous attack on, I think they said the Pentagon, with the origami incident. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that a paper cut is no way for a man to die. As soon as he said that, I was like, this is a comic I'm really going to enjoy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And they start giving us the flashbacks to find out that Robert actually had a twin brother, Joseph, and really playing up that law, that famous line that there's a fine line between genius and insanity because Robert's twin brother, Joseph, happens to be a serial killer. (laughs) And the way that all plays out, I'm not going to ruin it for you guys. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is just such a fun ride. That was in issue one. We can spoil it. Come on, that's like three issues back from what we're talking about here. So, Fine. yes, not only is he a serial killer, he's a freaking cannibal as well because you you eat, how does he say it exactly? I've got the issue here. When you, you consume, consume the body, yeah, you take their soul. Soul. So he eats everything that he kills. Well, he makes his way back to his brother's place at one point, kills him, and eats him. So the Oppenheimer that is in this comic is actually the serial killer with multiple personalities. So as you're reading at points, you're going to see these these 
he, the, the, again, the colorist uses a lot of, in this one here, a lot of um, muted colors in orange, pink, kind of whatever you want to call that for the personalities when to, to show what he's seeing kind of thing and what's there. And so there's different responses based on who's in charge at any given moment kind of thing. So that's Oppenheimer ain't himself in this. <laughs> I actually have a quote here. It's from the end of issue one, because throughout the comics, we're getting these excerpts from like a memoir or something from, from another Feynman. character. From Feynman, one yeah. of the scientists, yeah. Right. In the beginning, when I first joined the projects, before his internal civil war, before the great culling, before the amalgamated Oppenheimer coalesced, 32 distinct versions of the Doctor existed. From there, the rate of fracture increased exponentially, and by 1968, that number was virtually endless. One of the greatest geniuses of all time has multiple personality disorder and also happens to be his twin brother. Those all of those quotes were fantastic because oh, he's yes. got them peppered throughout at various spots, and they especially when you you see the issue that has Feynman in it too, they're they're just fantastic. And again, it's something that I, you got to give Hickman credit here if this was his idea for for the layout and having those on a page by itself to show a you know a different section of the story that's going to take place when you're looking at a comic book that has so few pages to play with already to get a story across that's an investment there that you're making that this is going to be important what's on this page even though it's only one quote in the middle so i mean it's it's again it's it still lends an air of credibility almost to it even though it's not you know yeah and just to point out some of these other characters that are going on here like we said uh richard feynman he was the the narrator in the little excerpts that we talked about he's introduced in issue two and he has that smartest guy in the room syndrome where you know he says what he's gonna say <laughs> and he has his own personality quirks at one point i think he was literally talking to himself <laughs> at the beginning enrico fermi again famous scientist i think he's a goblin <laughs> in his bio at the end of issue three it just says not human great one of the best, Harry Daglin. Okay, apparently he got into a bit of an accident, touched uh, <laughs> one of their radioactive cores, and has now in another joined, dimension <laughs> joined his body with some sort of radioactive demon. I, I have nothing. <laughs> Basically, it reminds me of the villain from Batman Beyond. Um, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. oh, I can't remember his name now, and I, I hate it's myself gonna... for it. Same. All right. Anyway, and then just to round it out, they, their artificial intelligence is now running out of FDR's deceased corpse. I mean, Hickman, bravo. Yes, <laughs> this, definitely. This is absolutely amazing. And now it, it will be one of my most anticipated comics every month because I, I, I cannot wait to see just how crazy it gets from here. Oh yeah. No, like and the third issue was fantastic too, because again, you're, you're taking a, I mean, he, he's, he's taken some things from religion, putting them in there. And then oh, Truman, Truman, who's doing his freaking speech <laughs> with the goat head staff. Oh my God. That was hysterical. And then, of course, all the stuff with Roosevelt, too, turning him into the first AI ever. I mean, it, all of it is... You would think that... You would think that it would be hard for him to still create that much 
sense of like suspense and it's it's still thrilling it's i mean they're they're freaking scientists but there's still enough that it is that quote-unquote page turner you know what i mean Mm -hmm. have you actually read uh the series he did for marvel called shield no all right it's the same concept twisted of course for the marvel universe where it talks about the origins of the entire concept of shield not just you know the the homeland directorate that we see with nick fury and everything but going back to ancient times where it was it was an actual physical shield that one of the first pharaohs of egypt used when he was fighting the brood when they first invaded thousands of years ago or when leonardo da vinci created his inventions to fight galactus (laughs) i have actually the first one of that and I don't know why, but I never got the rest of them. But I had picked it up only because, I'm not going to lie, it was an awesome variant cover. So I picked it up because of that, and I read it, and I really enjoyed it. But there must have been a whole crapload of other ones that I was reading at the time, so I just didn't go back and read them all. And while it had a lot of the, these this cool imagery and amazing ideas, it was a bit difficult to get into. Uh, God, I can't even remember what character it was. I think it was Copernicus. And like going into the Vatican, I don't, I don't even remember. It was, it was very out there and it's something I, I kind of have to go back and take another look at and try to appreciate it a little better because it, it was bizarre. <laughs> just Let's just leave it at oh, that. I mean, bizarre. Please look at what we're talking about right now. It can't be any more bizarre than this. Uh... <laughs> Franklin D. Roosevelt as the first AI? Come on. <laughs> I don't know. I it would be a tough decision. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So moving on to what else we've been reading this week, uh, following up with these other two uh, creator-owned titles, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Saga because we haven't talked about it since the first issue. Have you read it since the first issue? No, I haven't. And not okay. because I got a big thing against it. Just, mm-hmm. again, we've only got so much time in a day, and I've oh, been reading yeah, a lot of, of other stuff. Remember what you were saying about you can tell somebody's high <laughs> when oh, they're yeah. writing something? Apparently, he didn't start taking the good drugs until after the oh, first issue. <laughs> already then. Oh, my God. He, this Vaughn has just unleashed his imagination on what's going on here. The story's still interesting. The characters are still cool. But every issue just throws out something completely ridiculous that you you never would have imagined. Like, I do not know what sort of state my mind would have to be in to come up with some of these characters. Right. It's still a very fun read. All right. I will go back and read them all. I'm going to wait a little bit, though. And I'm still trying to make sense out of Avengers versus X-Men. Okay. Now, that being said, (laughs) have you read Uncanny X-Men number 14? Loved it. That's what I was going to say. That was going to be one of mine. I got my two for what I've been reading. So we're going to wait and we'll talk about it in my turn then. (laughs) Okay. But remember what I was saying last week about how the timelines don't line up and this and that? Yeah. Well, okay. The beginning of the latest issue of Secret Avengers, I noticed there actually is a little editorial note in the recap page saying that everything in Secret Avengers takes place before the story that's running concurrently in Avengers. So timeline-wise, it makes a little more sense. Right. Little, barely, a shred. At least the two different stories they're telling with the exact same set of characters at the exact same time don't take place at the exact same time. But still, it... Did we really need two completely different stories with the same cast of six characters? But no. at least it makes a little more sense. And then I was very excited because this past week was the second issue of their Infinite Digital series, issue six. We got into this last week. <sighs> issue one came out and it was 99 cents, which 
I, I feel was a perfect price point for a digital exclusive comic. Issue two came out at a dollar ninety nine, with nothing changed to warrant the extra warrant that ex the doubling the price. And more interestingly, issue one is available through the Marvel app or Comicsology. Issue two, six, whatever we want to call it, was only available on Comicsology, which. <laughs> what what are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, if the, these major publishers, and I'm mostly talking about Marvel here, I, I will give DC credit. Their digital strategy is at least coherent. <laughs> Marvel is winging it. Like, from week to week, it makes no sense. Why would you have two issues of the same title available on one service, but only one issue available on your personal private service. (laughs) You'd think they'd want to put as many issues on the actual Marvel app as possible instead of going through Comixology, though if I'm remembering correctly, I think the actual Marvel app is still run by Comixology, (laughs) which makes it even more infuriating. Like, who made this decision? Was it an oversight? I don't know. And even then... Why are you shuffling around the price points? It's something that you're literally giving away with every purchase of AVX. You go out and buy the Avengers vs. X-Men comic. You get the digital code for the infinite. Now, I'm perfectly happy reading the recaps of Avengers vs. X-Men because (laughs) I think I'd have to get drunk to read any more of those actual issues. (laughs) I I know. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Figure it out. Do something and and stick to it. No, the problem like, is is that if they do that, then they're gonna go with that stupid two ninety nine price point or higher for the digital. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're testing the waters constantly, and in in my opinion, it's not testing the waters to see what is right and just. It's testing the waters to see just how high they can price something mm-hmm. to make the the most amount of profit. Which again, yes, I understand it's a business, but there's a fine line between business and ripping off your clients. Yeah, if you really do want to test this out, like, let's say uh, hypothetically speaking, Thor and Iron Man are both selling about the same amount in their print comics right now. Do a digital exclusive story with those characters. You know, get do use the same creative team so that either the writing and the art is consistent across the two of them put put them out at different price points see like actually do market research and see which one is going to a sell better and b give you that profit and you know what if the higher priced one ends up you know selling then i can accept that that's what the market is accepting but just picking price points at random and throwing them out and multiple services, you're not going to get a good idea of what the digital market is capable of. So it it's mind boggling. I think, and this is only my opinion and I could, I could be wrong. However, based on how often Comixology has their 99 cent sales, which are all the time, they'll have a sale on a specific theme, whether it's all of The Walking Dead or back issues mm-hmm. of different things or when there's events. They'll have, you know, a weekend sale where they're 99 cents kind of thing. I would assume that they are doing that enough that that is because they understand that that's when people will buy them more. While we're on that subject, assuming this episode comes out before Friday, they have a sale going on this week. Uh, it ends Friday where a collection of 24 separate first issues from Image are 99 cents. So you can check out Saga. You can check out Manhattan Projects and some of the other stuff they're putting out for that dollar for the first issue. Yeah, which is which is great. I mean, again, that's 
that's that's what we want. That's what we we need. And even then, the, their back issues are only a dollar ninety nine, which I'd still say personally is a bit more than a digital back issue should be, but. Yeah. It's it's not an unfair price altogether. Yeah, I'm going to agree to disagree with you on that one. <laughs> All right, what you got? Well, there's that freaking Uncanny X-Men number 14. And you liked a Mr. Sinister story. Th- that Weren't you talking trash about him a couple right months ago? right there how good it actually was. <laughs> because it was fantastic. So in that issue, if people haven't read it, you have one of the, what are they called? little sinisters his imagination that he created this little little miniature london underground that he created kind of thing there's all of his minions are there and one of them appears to have started thinking for himself and he's keeping notes on his progress on different things and whatnot he's working on a secret in a secret lab in his basement which was awesome and then you see him interacting with sinister because he's a a reporter so he he gets to to ask him questions and things like that and and he wants to basically kill him and in the background they're still tying it into avx what's going on right now because of the phoenix so sinister knows that Sooner or later, the X-Men are going to come knocking on his door because with with more power based on the Phoenix Force, they're not going to want him and how powerful he is kicking around, so they're going to come and kick down his door. But that portion there, notwithstanding, the actual part with this minion trying to plot against the one who gave him life was fantastic. Really, really well written. The the art was gorgeous throughout. I really like this issue a lot. Between Uncanny and Journey into Mystery, Kieran Gillen is too good for Marvel. <laughs> he, he comes up with these great ideas and new approaches to establish characters that time and time again continue to be impressive. I Yeah, it was really, really good. <laughs> and then other than that, I, of course, I read Walking Dead 99. Have you read it yet? Yes, I have. Before going to bed so that you can sleep well? <laughs> I'm serious. It was that boring. It was, I know that again, it's it's set up. It's it's set up for 100. But you know what? How much setup have we Yeah, we've been we setting had? up for 100 for like nine Months. issues now. <clears throat> so no, it's 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 too much setup. There, nothing of importance really i mean i shouldn't say that glenn leaving deciding to leave with his family is important in the grand scope of things however there's no action that takes place here at all i mean a few zombies get their heads bashed in at the beginning but that's that's it there's it's it's all character play which again it's fine to have some of that in there but i mean the walking dead has always been about you know them surviving against wave after wave of zombies and other people and things like that and i mean again they're setting it up for what's going to happen and it's obvious what's going to happen at this point here kind of thing especially when you read through to the end of this but wow it was freaking boring if this was not a robert kirkman comic book if it wasn't the walking dead you know and i'm air quoting here as if you can see me <laughs> if it was classic that, yeah really then people would not have been impressed with this i can't believe for one moment that people would have thought whoa this is a fantastic issue not that people are saying that i don't know what others are saying but i it's it's because of the name associated with it that that's the only reason why people would think this is good i'm sorry i really i was bored 
I wouldn't say I was quite as bored, but yeah, I can agree that there is very little of importance that, that occurred here. No, definitely. So that's it. Okay, so moving on to today's new releases. We actually have a small list from Marvel, which is interesting. We have Amazing Spider-Man number 688, kicking off the new storyline there. We have FF number 19, which, again, the, the praise I'm hearing about Hickman's work there is because Fantastic Four, the whatever the latest one was in Wakanda, was amazing. And this is the same uh, Wakanda setting with now the kids' side of the story. Oh, I've been uh, keeping up with FF as well, and man, it's yeah. been fantastic. We have Spider-Man number two, Wolverine and the X-Men number 12, X-Men number 31, and X-Men Legacy number 269. So of the six comics I'm recommending this week, half of them are X-Men and two of them are Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have the trade paperback uh, first volume for Defenders, which I'm still enjoying as well. Uh, from DC, we have another Before Watchmen, this time Night Owl number one, issue 10 for Flash and Justice League, and Scalped number 16. 50, not 60, wow, 59, which is the next to last issue for that comic. And rounding out the list, we have a lot of interesting stuff uh, from Boom Studios. We have another very interesting first issue, uh, which is Hypernaturals number one. And that features uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, who are best known for resurrecting the cosmic uh, Marvel characters. And they're doing that here. They're building an entire universe of characters for Boom Studios here now, and it looks like they're telling a pretty interesting story there. From Dynamite, we have Voltron number six. For IDW, Magic the Gathering, the Spell oh, Thief number one, which is actually tying into the Duels of the Planeswalker game that we've both been playing at great lengths for yes. the last <laughs> week now. <laughs> we also have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 11 and Transformers More Than Meets the Eye number six. And from Image, Fatal number six, as well as volume one trade paperback, Manhattan Projects number four, which hey, I know we're very interested in, and Profit number 26. So Marvel and DC not putting out a great deal, but everybody else has something else to look that. at this week. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really interesting to see the way the industry is growing over the this, just this past year. All right. Anyway, that's going to wrap us up here. As always, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at cbinformer, or you can email us at either Vince or Roger at comicbookinformer.com. But until then, we'll see you next week. <laughs>